You're listening to Matt Walsh on demand. You know, one of the great problems facing the church today is the uh, what I would call the clicheifying of Christianity. Mo- modern society has come up with a whole series of these kind of slogans, these semi-spiritual slogans and, and sayings, which we put in place of true Christian doctrine. And the funny thing is that, is that, uh, that oftentimes we do this in the name of rejecting what we call man-made religion. And, and for us, any Christian teaching that predates like the 1970s is man-made. And any kind of trite platitude that we pick up from a Facebook meme or a trendy pastor in skinny jeans, well, that's real and true. That's the real, that's the real Christianity. Not, not the Christianity that's been followed for 2,000 years. The real Christianity is the, is the new stuff. It is, it is precisely the doctrines that were made up by men 25 seconds ago that we consider authentic. And the, do- the doctrines that began with Christ and the apostles and the church fathers that we dismiss as man-made. Have you noticed that? But of all of these kind of new age pseudo-Christian cliches, I think few are more groundless and more dangerous than this one. And I know you've heard it many times. All sin is equal in God's eyes. This is something I, I encounter all the time. And uh, I seem to be encountering with greater frequency recently. And often it's comp- accompanied with uh, comparable statements like sin is sin and you know, X sin is, isn't worse than any, any other sin. Whatever, whatever sin we're talking about. Well, this isn't worse than any other sin. And usually it's a sexual sin where this comes up. Someone says, well, that's not worse than anything else. And it's true, of course, that sin is sin. Um, And in a similar way, you could say that sickness is sickness. But are we unable to draw any distinctions between, say, pancreatic cancer and an ear infection? Or could it be true that although sickness is sickness and all sickness is bad, some sickness is worse? I, I wouldn't go to a doctor who feels otherwise. If I go, if I contract, let's say the plague, I don't want to find a doctor who will treat it like a toothache. And if I have a toothache, I don't really want a doctor who's going to treat it like the plague. I want a doctor who understands the degrees of severity in disease, right? So here's what I know. Um, God is, is, uh, not like that hypothetical doctor who can't tell the difference between one thing and another. God is not blind. God um, sees a man as he does something horrendous, rapes a child, let's say. And God saw me when I took a brownie from the pan in the kitchen, even though my wife specifically told me not to. And God judges us both as having committed a sin. That's true. But he doesn't judge us as having committed the same sin or a sin of equal uh, severity. And neither would a court of law if my wife 
had seen fit to get them involved. And neither would you. Nobody with a functioning conscience would say that a brownie thief and a rapist are equal in wickedness and moral depravity. Do we imagine that that God does not have a functioning conscience? See, the great danger, and and this is uh, one of the things that I worry most about, is that we... We often talk about, because we have such a, and when I say we, I'm talking you know, just generally speaking in our, in our culture, we Christians have such an underdeveloped faith and such a childish faith. And by the way, don't confuse that with childlike faith, because we're told in scripture, we should have a childlike faith, which is innocent and pure uh, and, and, and a faith that causes us to rely totally on God, a joyful faith. That's what it means to have a childlike faith. A childish faith is immature, is, um, is, uh, there's no, it's shallow, there's no depth to it. And because of that, w- when we talk about God, we, uh, we make God sound implausible, and we make Christianity sound idiotic and illogical. And I'm not saying that all matters of faith have to be perfectly self-evident to our puny little mortal minds, but there is something particularly harmful about false doctrines that are nonsensical and unbelievable on their face. Now, false doctrines that sound believable have their own special dangers. But the false doctrines that are, are false and are also just ridiculous have the effect of you know, they have this effect that non-Christians will hear this stuff and assume that it represents actual Christian teaching, and then they'll resolve to never believe in a God of that sort. A God who, in this case, is incapable of drawing a distinction between lying to someone and, uh, I don't know, eating them. And can you really blame them? So that's the distinction between... You have the false doctrines that sound somewhat somewhat plausible and attractive and those are very dangerous because they can suck in christians actual christians can be sucked into those kinds of false doctrines so i would put into that category like the the prosperity gospel is a completely false doctrine but when it is communicated by someone who's very skillful in the lie someone like joel osteen or uh one of those guys um, Creflo Dollar, you know, one of those guys. When it's communicated by someone like that, it can be to a to a to an underdeveloped Christian. It can sound attractive and plausible, and it can suck them in. But the implausible false, false doctrines, the nonsensical ones, those are dangerous because of the effect they have on non Christians. They do sort of the opposite of sucking people in. They repel people. They have the effect of. Non-Christians hear it and they say, what? See, you know, this is why I don't believe in Christianity because this is totally nonsense. doesn't make any sense. I, I mean, I, if I were a non-Christian and I, believe, and I thought that this was sort of the Christian God, a God who thinks that all sin is equal, I wouldn't believe in that sort of God. And if I did come to believe in him, I certainly could never accept that he is just. I mean, where is the justice in that kind of God? 
And and why has he given us a concept of justice that is so completely divorced from his own? Does that mean that we're actually wrong for imposing a stricter penalty on a man who murders his wife than on a kid who steals a pack of Starbursts from Walgreens? If we're going to establish a justice system that more closely aligns with God, should we then start executing both of them? If we and that's what the ju- the justice system should be just, shouldn't it? And there's only one kind of justice that is God's justice. And a, a justice system, although it is not God, should exercise God's will. And if all sin is equal, then I guess it's God's will that they be punished equally and be treated equally. So I guess we're executing everybody. Or, or we should let everybody off with a misdemeanor charge and a stern talking to. And I suspect that that's really the point. This is largely why the sin is equal myth was fabricated to kind of level out our sins thereby numbing the guilt we feel for our more serious infractions uh, this is the this is the quest that the modern christian is engaged in this never-ending quest to rationalize his sin and relieve himself of the duty to strive for holiness and and in this sin is sin sin is equal slogan He's found his escape hatch. Because if there's no real moral difference between insulting someone and committing genocide, then why even try? We're we're all basically genocidal maniacs in that case. St. Peter is Hitler. Hitler is St. Peter. God apparently can't see any difference between the two. So so what's the point? The, the, The Christian who believes in this fake doctrine just continues along in his sin, making no effort to change because one sin is the same as any other. And we all fall short of the glory of God, he says with a shrug. And, 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 uh, and so we're all going to end up in the same boat anyway. We're, we're all equally as terrible, no matter what we do. I mean, you could have someone who's a, a serial killer all their life and then someone else who's virtuous all their life and makes one mistake at one point. And, but they're, that makes them, they're equal now. There, there's no distinction the virtuous guy may as, may, have well have, may as well have been a, a serial killer his whole life. He's wasting his effort. And that's the point. That's why this doctrine has uh, become so popular. Because people are looking for an excuse. They just want an excuse. They want a, a reason to kind of give up. And I will say, now that, I think, there are two motivations uh, behind the all sin is equal uh, false doctrine. And the, the one I, I think is the most popular, the one I just described is the most popular one. The one that lets, kind of lets people off the hook. Now, I have heard sometimes people use this in a different context. When, what they're trying to do is they're trying to make a point about the severity of all sin. And they're try- far from getting people off the hook. What they're trying to say is, you know, you, you think you're so much better than someone who's committed, in your mind, a more heinous sin. But you need to look at yourself and the things that you've done. And, and, and ask yourself, you know, why have you, and I wrote a piece about this somewhat recently where I made the point that, you know, there are many of us who uh, 
we imagine that we're relatively decent people and we look at the more insidious and wicked things that people do and we say, well, we've never done any of those things. We've never killed anybody. We've never raped anybody. We've never stolen uh, large amounts of money. We've, uh, you know, we've basically, we've, we've made some mistakes. We had some mistakes, but we've made some mistakes, but we haven't done any of those really terrible things. And, but the real question we have to ask ourselves is why haven't we done those really terrible things? Why haven't we done them? And there are some people who, although they make mistakes, they never fall into really dark and depraved sin because of their moral effort, because of their virtue, because of their discipline, because of the grace um, instilled in them by God, because of their prayerful and committed and pious life. There are people like that, but then, but I think the major, probably the majority of us who consider ourselves to be decent, if we haven't done those terrible things, it's really just because either we haven't had the opportunity to do them or we have not had the desire to do them. And so we don't get credit for that. And I think what many of us do is we, we basically commit all of the sins that we have the opportunity and desire to commit. And it's really just a matter of good fortune and dumb luck that we've never had the desire and opportunity to do anything, quote unquote, really bad. But all of the things that we wanted to do, we did. All of the sins that we really felt the temptation, we really had the opportunity for, we did it. And so in that case, now, although the sins aren't equal, in that case, you really are no better than a rapist or a murderer. You really are no better. The only thing separating you from him, it's not your moral effort. It's not your virtue. It's just desire and opportunity. That's it. He's done all the things that he wanted to do and had the opportunity to do, uh, never making any sacrifices at all. Same for you. And you're headed on the same road. He's just a little bit further down it because of circumstance. So yeah, in that case, you're in the same boat. Um, this is kind of why, you know, this is sort of the point with in a marriage. Um, and and G- Jesus says that, Jesus says that uh, if, if you look at a woman lustfully, you, you've already committed adultery with her in your heart. And many of us misinterpret that. We, we use that, that verse as, a, as a, a justification for arguing that, well, he's saying all sin is equal. You know, to lust after a woman is equal to physical adultery. But he didn't say that, did he? What he said is lusting after someone is adultery in the heart. He didn't say that adultery of the heart and physical adultery are the same or equal. Clearly, they're not. Clearly, because because, uh, physical adultery is lustful, and then it's also a physical act. So physical adultery has to be worse than, than, than mere lust because physical adultery is lust acted upon. And it is worse to act upon a temptation than it is to indulge in it in your head. Of course it's worse. And anyone who doubts that, just, just, just d- 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 uh, uh, think about, consider whether you would prefer, or what would be worse in your mind, for your wife to physically cheat on you 
at the Motel 6 with some guy that you met at the gym or to see the guy at the gym and have a moment of um, lustful imaginings about him. Both are bad. You'd prefer that neither happened. But which would you be more upset about? Clearly, you'd be more upset about the Motel 6 thing, right? So they're not the same. But the point is, one leads to the other. The physical adultery naturally flows from the lust. And if we get into the habit of indulging in our lustful thoughts whenever they pop in, and then we start, and then we're looking at porn, you know, and and we're kind of, we're being as unfaithful as we possibly can be in our situation. And if in the end, though we have no problem fantasizing about other people and we look at porn, we never actually made the step to physical adultery. It's probably that the only reason we didn't is because we didn't want to get caught. It's, that's probably why. Because we've clearly demonstrated that we have no problem cheating on our spouses in our hearts and even on, on the computer. And if we never act upon that, if we never take it further, it's just because we, we, we kind of, we got our kicks in this area and we never wanted to take the risk of going into the quote unquote real world. Now let's bring it back because now I'm, I'm off on a whole tangent. But so people look at all that and, and, and in an effort to communicate that, hey, listen, you're looking at porn. He's cheating on his wife physically. You know, you're not necessarily better than him. In an effort to, to, to communicate the severity of the looking at porn, people will often say, well, the sins are equal. No, they're not equal. And you don't have to say it. It's not true. You don't have to say it in order to make the point that I just made. But, I, but for the, the reason why all sin is equal has become so popular is not that. It's, it, for the most part, most people in our culture are not, are not trying to make sin seem more severe than it is. They're trying to make it seem less severe and make it seem uh, 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 less avoidable than it is. So we should note that the Bible makes no mention of the equality of sin. It does contain, however, numerous passages explicitly ranking some sins as greater than others and some sins as resulting in worse punishment than others. So uh, we could take a quick look at that. John 19.11, Jesus tells Pilate, the one, who delivered to me, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. Matthew 23.14, Jesus promised greater condemnation to the hypocritical scribes and Pharisees. A few lines later, Jesus says they have neglected the, quote, weightier matters of the law. James uh, uh, chapter 3, we're told of those who will receive a stricter judgment because of what they've done. Luke 12, 47, our Lord says that more will be expected of those who've been given more and, and that some will be beaten with many stripes while some will be beaten with few. Mark 3, 28, we're told that blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is the one sin that will not be forgiven. 1 John 5.17, it's explained that all wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. And all throughout Scripture, you notice certain sins singled out as especially heinous and depraved. We find four in particular that are said to cry out to heaven for vengeance. That's sodomy, persecution of the poor, murder, and defrauding workers of their wages. Those in particular, we're told, cry out to heaven for vengeance. 
Why are these selected for special condemnation if all sin is the same? Um, I think it's, I think it's uh, pretty clear. Now, it's true that all sin separates us from God. But it's clear from Scripture and from our common sense that they don't separate us to the same extent. So if I walk across the room... I have separated myself from you. If I travel to Mars, I have also separated myself from you. Yet the separation is not the same in terms of degree, severity, or reversibility. A man who um, gets into the habit of going 12 miles over the speed limit has arguably committed a sin. A man who gets into the habit of very carefully driving the speed limit as he visits a prostitute has also committed a sin. They've both separated themselves from God, but who has strayed further? It seems clear that the man with the prostitute has traveled a longer distance and will have a much tougher time getting back. That isn't to say that he can't come back or that Christ's sacrifice doesn't apply to him, but simply that his sin has plunged him deeper into the darkness and the road to redemption will be more perilous and more painful. That's where the inequality of sin becomes most obvious in its effect on us. Great sin leads to still greater sins. We are disfigured more and more until we've brought ourselves to a state of such spiritual numbness that we barely feel even the urge to repent. And it's at this point that we start clinging to these modern heresies to find comfort. And we cling especially to the hope that it's all the same and we're all going to heaven anyway. We tell ourselves over and over again that all sin is equal, failing to realize that it's precisely the greatness of our sin which causes us to believe this false doctrine in the first place. No. All sin is is not equal. You, You may well be a worse sinner than your neighbor. You may well be a worse person than he is. That, and I know in our arrogance and our ego, we hate to think this, but we hate to think that there are people out there better than us. And I don't mean physically better. I don't mean better in terms of their career success or their financial achievements. I mean, better. They're just better. Holier. They're, they're more virtuous. They're better people. I know there are a lot of people that are better than me in this way. And we don't like to think that. And so we want to say, oh, you know, it's all the same. Everyone's the same. No, they're not. We're not all the same. There's a theme I come back to all the time. You know, I, I do a whole series on Things that aren't equal. Men and women aren't equal. Uh, Human beings in general aren't equal. Cultures aren't equal. Sin is not equal. Nothing is equal. Outside of a, 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 a mathematics textbook, equality does not exist. Equality is a, is a mathematical abstraction. Two and two are equal on paper. Nowhere else. It's not even true to say that like two apples are equal to two apples. No, they're not. 
They're not equal. They're, 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 they're completely. They're, they're probably they're they're different in size, slightly in shape, and in, in shade of color, and flavor, and everything. Tree of origin. There, there, there. There are so many differences between the apples. There's no two apples are the same. No, no, no two of anything are the same. There is no equality. No, nothing. Equality does not exist anywhere. It does not exist. It does not exist anywhere. I wish we could just get that into our heads. And then we can, you know, continue to live our lives with an understanding that just because I'm a certain way and just because I struggle with a certain thing doesn't mean everyone does. And I may look at myself in, in a rare moment of honesty and I may say to myself, I may realize about myself that, man, I am so lacking in virtue and integrity and courage and in all virtues. I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm so lacking. And then I want to tell myself, well, but everybody is. No, not necessarily. So I have to get on my knees in prayer to God and uh, through the grace of God, start working on myself. Instead of worrying about trying to keep bring everyone down to my level in hopes of making myself feel better. All right, that's going to do it for me. I'll talk to you guys next time. Our crew chase others. Godspeed.